All right, everybody. Uh, are we recording? Are we rocking and rolling here? Yep. Okay. Hi, everybody. This is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman. We're here on Juneteenth for the 141st, uh, count of 141st uh, Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition call. We're going to start the hour most uh, with Dan Ellsberg, the great Dan Ellsberg. Uh, going to have Norm Stockwell and other uh, Dennis Bernstein and other folks who we're closely affiliated with him, Dorothy Reich, uh, to talk about Dan Ellsberg. But it is Juneteenth, and we are honored with the presence of the, of the great Ray McClendon, the political director of the uh, Georgia NAACP. Hey, where can I get a shirt like that? I'm a 2X, Ray. Uh, <laughs> you got you. I need that shirt. So um, uh, oh, you look like you're in a church. I know you've got an event. We want yeah. to... If, we want to trouble you if you could please to give us kind of an invocation for June to Juneteenth before you run away. Sure, absolutely. We we take this uh time to to celebrate and to honor Juneteenth uh because it truly is an American holiday. It represents freedom when America was living up to its creed that all men were created equal <clears throat> and have certain inalienable rights. So as we pause now to reflect, uh, let's take an, a moment of devotion to create to the uh, Ray, are you good there? Uh, is there anything we do? Can am I the only one that can't hear Ray? I can't hear him either. Ray, can you hear us? There we go. Ray, back. There you go. I hear you guys fine. Yes. Okay. Now we hear you. So just it, okay. Go ahead. Okay. So as as we take this time, this is truly an American celebration, as I was saying, because it's a time when America absolutely stood up to honor its creed that all men indeed all men, not just white men with property, had certain inalienable rights. So we honor and celebrate, but we also must solemnly take this day as an opportunity that the fight is not over. So let's take a, time, a, a moment to reflect in meditation. To the creator of the universe, we thank you for this time to celebrate freedom a freedom that came through justice, although deferred, was not denied. So we thank you for the words of the prophet Micah that says three things we must do to honor you. And that is that we would seek justice, that we would love kindness, and that we would walk humbly before you. So on this day, as we celebrate, we not only celebrate the, the history of this day, but we look to a future that brings justice to all where love permeates throughout this great country and that we will continue to walk humbly before you. So thank you for this day. And we say this in the name of all who honor you and everyone said together, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ray, Everybody. thank you so much. Uh, we know you got to run. We've been honored by your presence. And uh, send me that T-shirt when you get a minute. All right. Ray. I got you. Two X. I'll, I'll, I'll grab one for you. <laughs> thank you, man. All Take right. care. All righty. Thank you. All right. We appreciate that. Thank you, Ray.
uh, for those, uh, for, for the historian and me, uh, the root of Juneteenth, uh, many of you probably know, it, it refers to June 19th, 1865. Uh, the, uh, the war, uh, the Civil War uh, ended at Appomattox uh, uh, on April 9th or thereabouts. And, uh, the, and with the end of the war, essentially was the end of slavery. Uh, Lincoln had uh, issued the Emancipation Proclamation officially on January 1st, 1863, uh, and, but the war was still going on. And when the, when the South finally surrendered, when Lee surrendered to Grant at Appomattox, it became official, but the word of the Union victory did not reach Galveston, Texas until uh, June 19th, 1865. And at that point, it was clear that the um, uh, slavery was over and that the 13th Amendment, as ratified by the Congress during the war, would in fact um, um, uh, work. And, and, that, and so, that's why June, June, Juneteenth, uh, June 19th is recognized as the official end of slavery um, uh, throughout the whole United States, because Galveston apparently was the last one to get the news. So we can all take pride, as Ray said, in, in June, uh, June 19th. It is a federal holiday, amazingly enough, and so we, sh we can applaud that as well. Okay. We also now are going to devote um, uh, much of this uh, coming hour to the great Dan Ellsberg. After that, uh, at 6 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Pacific, we're going to talk about some nuclear issues and other issues in Ohio. And uh, I see we're also joined by Antonio Gisbert, who we're going to talk to about um, uh, uh, something going on in Oregon, which I think we'll all find interesting. Uh, but I do want to start, as promised, um, with uh, the great Dan Ellsberg. Uh, I had the honor, actually, <laughs> of being arrested with Dan Ellsberg uh, at the Pentagon in 1980. Uh, we had a, um, an affinity group uh, that marched onto the, we marched into the um, um, antechamber there the, uh, 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 at the Pentagon at the front door. And uh, they held us all there, and, and our affinity group was Dr. Benjamin Spock, the baby doctor, and his uh, uh, cohort, uh, Mary Morgan, and Dan Ellsberg, uh, Dan Berrigan, and Susanna Styron. And um, uh, we all got arrested, and they booked us, and then we went, we went out to dinner. It was, it was your ideal kind of arrest, and Dan was just a wonderful, wonderful guy. So we have a number of people who knew him and worked with him. Um, who are, are, are with us to uh, basically speak their piece about Dan. I wanted to start, start with Norm Stockwell, the publisher of the progressive.org, and then Dorothy Reich of the Santa Monica um, uh, uh, Democrats, and the uh, progressive Democrats, and then Dennis Bernstein, the, uh, the host of the Flashpoints show. And uh, uh, Dan Ellsberg, I've been reading a lot of... Um, um, eulogies or, or obituaries for Dan. I mean, he was truly an amazing guy. I don't know if we've been joined. I asked Randy Keeler to join us. I don't know, Randy, if he is on, 
But among the, among the things that I read, and then we'll go to Norm Stockwell, um, is that uh, Dan Ellsberg, when he was kind of becoming radicalized, went and heard a speech by a draft resistor. And he was um, uh, inspired by this draft resistor, and it led really to a lot of Dan Ellsberg's ra radicalization. And the name of the draft resistor was Randy Keeler. K-E-H-L-E-R. And Randy Keeler is an old, old friend of mine. He lives in Western Massachusetts. And he went to prison for quite a while um, uh, rather than uh, uh, cooperate with anything having to do with the Vietnam War. And I hoped uh, Randy might join us. I don't know if he will, but keep your eye out for Randy Keeler if you would. Let's uh, start now, uh, Norm Stockwell. Um, um, I know you worked with Dan Ellsberg. You knew a lot about him. Uh, can you uh, tell us uh, 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 your feelings about Dan? And then we'll go to Dorothy Wright. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, Harvey, and thanks for the invite. It certainly, it certainly was was sad news. Uh, I guess not unexpected, since Dan had had written to all of us and and told us uh, that it was coming. But it was still sad to uh, to see the news. And you know, here at the Progressive Magazine, we uh, we have kind of a bookend relationship with the Pentagon Papers because at the beginning of the decade of the 1970s was uh, Dan Ellsberg's famous um, Pentagon Papers case, which uh, which made a a great strike in favor of uh, the freedom of the press. And at the other end of the decade was our own case at the Progressive Magazine when the uh, government. Um, preemptively uh, attempted to keep us from publishing an article about the H-bomb, and uh, we did get to publish that article. So we have uh, we have a great affinity for, uh, for that period of Dan Ellsberg's work. But, you know, he has so much more in his life. And I just wanted to quote really quickly from three things uh, that Dan Ellsberg had in the Progressive magazine during the uh, 1980s. 80s and 1990s. Um, in a 1989 interview, he said this this really moving thing where he said, "Of course, I get discouraged, but what this is about is preserving life on Earth, and life on Earth is marvelous, a miracle. Every moment that we can prolong life on Earth, that is worth anything that we can do." Um, later in uh, in an article that he wrote uh, right around the uh, the time of the the uh, the end of the Soviet Union, and he wrote, uh, "It's misleading to describe the United States and the Soviet Union as having military industrial complexes. They are." military industrial complexes. It's a defining characteristic that our economies, our research and development, and the mainsprings of our industrial base are centered on military spending. Our elite's short-run point of view has always been to sustain the addiction of our economy to military income, to keep that regular fix of military spending flowing through our veins. And then Finally, one last quote. This was an article he wrote right at the beginning of the um, Persian Gulf War in 1991. And he wrote, the truth is that the continuation and expansion of this war 
represent a graver danger and a greater evil than do any of the plausible diplomatic agreements to end it. Um, and that's, uh, you know, so much, um, uh, so contemporary as well as, uh, as historical. So Daniel Ellsberg will be, will be greatly missed here at the Progressive Magazine. And um, those quotes that I read and links to a bunch of his articles are available through a free weekly email newsletter that we do. I'll throw the address in the chat if people are interested in subscribing to it and getting uh, stories like that and many more from the pages of uh, the history of the Progressive Magazine. Well, the Progressive Magazine is really a national treasure, as was Dan. And I know you had a symbiotic relationship with Dan, um, uh, Norm, and, and your work in particular has been spectacular. So thank you for that link. I do want to jump in here and remind uh, you, uh, in particular, Norman, people in general, that we're now in the middle of an election for the Pacifica Radio National Board, and we will be talking uh, um, uh, uh, for the for the local station boards, and we will be talking about that in, in great detail. But Norm, I want to remind you that to please post the link for uh, joining Pacifica. We're asking everybody to join Pacifica. It's twenty five bucks, and then you get to vote in the election. Uh, but Norm, uh, um, I, I know you knew Dan, and um, you know it's really great to have you on with us, and um, uh, and to uh, the progressive. Uh, <laughs> I remember Erwin Noel, your predecessor, by a few decades, uh, and the whole Michigas with the uh, the Pentagon Papers, followed by the Progressive Papers, and it's a really major chapter in our history. And um, we'll go to Dorothy Reich in a minute, but I I do want to mention that. In the light of Dan Ellsberg's career, uh, just before the uh, beginning of this um, uh, Zoom call, I read that we are like one step away from the potential extradition of Julian Assange. And, um, you know, if anybody has followed in the footsteps of Dan Ellsberg, it's Julian Assange. And uh, we don't know what's going to be happening, but I, I guarantee you next week we will be talking in great detail uh, they could be days away from dragging Julian Assange to the United States. So God help him. God help us all. Um, Norm, thank you so much. It's great to see you as always. And um, um, uh, we'll have you. Thank you. It's, a, it's an honor to be part of this program and, uh, and to remember uh, an amazing, amazing person, Daniel Ellsberg. Yes, really. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, we're going to go to Dorothy Reich. Uh, in the Santa Monica Mountains here. Uh, uh, Dorothy, uh, you had a beautiful, beautiful statement that you put out about Dan Ellsberg. Want me just to read it? You can. Maybe. You can do it. You can do it. I would rather just like. read it because I get, um, you know, and I sent it, Alan sent this out and Howie Klein printed it and he said the same as I said that when I was writing it, I cried. And when he said it, when he was reading it, he cried. So kind of a little personal. I didn't know him that well, but here, here we go. For those of us of a certain age, Daniel Ellsberg, like Tom Hayden, was a constant presence in our lives. From his release of the Pentagon Papers, the threat of life imprisonment, the dismissal of his case and his continuing opposition to war, he was always on our minds as we tried to free the world from war, prevent nuclear annihilation, and work towards a more just world. I first met him in person at Progressive Democrats of America National Confab in Cleveland. He was excited to hear I was from Topanga, one of his favorite haunts when he worked at Rand. 
Over the years, whenever things seemed too hard to bear, he would write an op-ed or show up on TV or the radio, usually on Democracy Now! to remind us that there was goodness in the world, even as it seemed that evil was winning the day, imploring us never to give up. In spite of all he knew, it was obvious, at least to me, that he believed humanity would come to its senses and survive if we kept on working. Dan loved to talk. When PDSMM gave him our Lifetime Achievement Award, sadly on Zoom, our meeting ran way over time as we were doing, as we clung to every word and peppered him with questions for which he always had a thoughtful answer. The last time I saw him was on a PD America Sunday town hall. He was as loquacious as ever, making the best of his diagnosis by eating all the foods he had been denied for years and warning us yet again that nuclear war was a possibility and that even limited use of nukes would cause untold suffering and must be prevented at all costs. We could not believe he was even sick, let alone dying. His life force was still so strong. He was survived by his children and of course his wife Patricia, whose anti-war efforts turned the creation of the war machine into a warrior for peace. Wow. Dorothy, thank you so much for that. Uh, you want to say anything extemporaneously here? Uh, you know, I didn't know him that well, but I think we all loved him. Even, you know, he he just was part of our lives. He was always there. He was always in the ether. He was just part of part of, of, of the world we lived in. And I want to give an, another shout out to Patricia because whatever we say about who turned him around, it was Patricia who took him to his first anti-war demonstration. And if it wasn't for Patricia, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know that Dan would have become a peace activist without her. Um, so thank God for her. And we just, we just loved him. A and he was just there for us. Like I said, like Tom Hayden, like Harry Belafonte, like a lot of people, those of us of a certain age took for granted that they would just be immortal, that they would always be there to guide us and to cheer us on and to make us feel that everything would eventually be all right. And now I don't know. Yeah. You know, when I heard Dan had uh, a cancer and uh, that he was going to pass, I, I didn't believe it, frankly. I said, no, nah, that can't happen. Dan Ellsberg can't die. But here we are. Um, but, you know, there's so much to learn from his life. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy. Uh, 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 Dennis Bernstein, um, are you with us, Dennis? Can I unmute you? Thank you so much, Dorothy. Greatly appreciated. Dennis, I, go ahead. I think I'm unmuted, yes. No, you're good. You're good. I'm good. Okay, great. Well, I I I I want to tell two quick stories. Uh and uh my friends who are very close to Dan, my close friends say he sort of went out like a star the way he came in. Uh <laughs> So um, the I interviewed Dan right before we all closed down for the COVID. Uh, he, it was uh, it was an interview, of course, on Assange, and you know it's like meet me at the station, Dan. And you know I'm he's in his eighties, and I think okay, I'll, I'm coming over, and I'm thinking maybe we should have just done this on the phone. He really wanted to come over. I'm thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there and wait for him get help this old man get into the building, um, and I'm waiting outside there, and 
all of a sudden he comes in his little sports car some kind of uh i i don't remember the name of the sports car but the, the hood's down and he just revs right into the parking lot he says oh you know hops out of the car says, okay i'm ready to go let's go and i'm ready to help this old man anyway uh he did a mighty powerful interview which i will play uh tomorrow on flashpoints about assange but uh, um i i want to say one story nora barrows friedman who does the electronic intifada a uh, very close friend of the of uh, the the Dan's family, um, and uh, Dan was actually visiting Nora's mom, Anna uh, 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 and um, uh, Nora comes in the house and she just got her license. She had just got it in the mail. Finally, she was allowed to drive, uh, and Dan had just bought a brand new car. This uh, this sports car. Uh, and um, so Dan says, "Hey, you want to take the? You might as well take the car for a ride." So uh, Dan had this uh, Dale sports car, and Nora had her first ride on this car. And Nora's mom, of course, was terrified about what might happen <laughs> with that new car. Anyway, um, I met Dan through my friend Paul Berman. They both were exiles from Washington. Both worked for Henry Kissinger. Uh, I met Dan through Paul, so I had a very close, you know, I came in very, in a very personal way. They were both crazy, and really, they had both essentially tripped out of their, uh, Paul, I think Paul's job was to, to create those charts that told you how much damage a nuclear weapon did if you were 10 miles away, 20 miles away, 30 miles away, and, you know, Dan was engaged in sort of as we know, war making and all this kind of stuff. And um, they uh, were amazing. They were committed to the work they were doing for the government. They were ready to sort of do the work that they thought was the right thing to defend uh, against the dangers of the world. And they both were transformed uh, by women and by knowledge and, and uh, you know, so my first program for Pacifica Radio was at a protest for to close down Rocky Flats in Colorado. And uh, I was all scheduled. I showed up there with a tape recorder I didn't even know how to use. And I was supposed to interview uh, Dan Ellsberg and Allen Ginsberg. They were both at the Rocky Flats plant planning to sit down and be arrested, stopping the nuclear train from coming into the, um, uh, uh, you know, to to create the trigger bombs that I guess they they needed the atomic bomb to trigger the hydrogen bomb or something, whatever. They made the triggers there at Rocky Flats, and both Ginsburg uh, and Ellsberg were there to resist. I remember I I, I showed up. Uh, I actually took a taxi to Ellsberg's um hotel met him there watched him get dressed this is my mm -hmm. first interview ever we got in a taxi cab we went over to rocky flats where we met uh alan ginsburg we get out of the car they're talking to each other i'm recording all of this and i turn to alan ginsburg and i say alan what do you want to tell us to do what are we going to be able to do to resist nuclear weapons nuclear war and ginsburg <laughs> looks at me he looks at Dan Ellsberg, he says, 
I'm not going to do anything to resist anything. I'm going to make love to plutonium. <laughs> I'm going to embrace it on the tracks. And, you know, I, I didn't quite get it, but Dan was practically on the ground. Uh, and then I, I guess I was getting a quick lesson in Zen Buddhism from Dan Ellsberg and from Allen Ginsberg. Anyway, uh, we made a documentary. It was called What's Really Happening at Rocky Flats. And it was the most extraordinary opportunity to begin my radio career. Uh, and uh, I can't tell you how graceful Dan was, because he must have known it was my first interview. And, you know, it was one of those things where um, uh, somebody uh, answers the questions you wish you asked <laughs> uh, about the and so that you end up with a beautiful interview no matter what stupid question you ask and that's the that's the nature of Dan Ellsberg and Alan in Allen Ginsberg and Dan <laughs> was a friend all the way through always ready at the drop of the hat to talk with us to share with us to inform and expand our knowledge and I must have interviewed him about 15 times to the point where he said and he said to me once, he says, you know, you don't need an excuse every time to interview me. You can just call me up and ask me whatever you want. Anyway, thanks for giving me this chance to tell these well, stories. Thank, thank you, Dennis. I, I guess you could say that uh, you lost your virginity with Dan Ellsberg. Um, <laughs> can, can, I, can I say one other thing? Of course, the first, please. The first, the first interview that I did about the pentagon papers was when i came over to dan's house with paul and there was a young woman there and it turns out it was the woman who photocopied the pentagon papers and she told me the most beautiful story about being in the copy mat and knowing she's like in the middle of changing history and a couple of cops in uniforms walk by and she's thinking to herself can you imagine what kind of bust it would have been for these two like um, young cops to uh, see that there was uh, somebody who was subverting uh, US foreign policy in the copy mount uh, as they walked by. Anyway, I just thought that's a beautiful drama. And that was the first original piece I did on the Pentagon Papers is like what it felt like to copy them. Wow, fantastic. Thank you so much, Dennis. Um, uh, I, I've seen a documentary film about Dan. I don't remember the title of it. If anybody can recall the title, there's a full-on documentary about him, and I don't remember the name. It was very good, though. Um, I'm going to go to talk in a minute. I'm told someone is telling me, Peggy Thomas, did you uh, want to say something? Uh, uh, if you do, please raise your hand, um, but and I will unmute you. Uh, I don't know if you have the cap the possibility of doing it yourself, but let us know if you want to speak. Let me go now. Uh, actually, uh, Tatanka, Ruth was uh, prior to you. Can we do Ruth and then Tatanka, please? Uh, Ruth Strauss, let's get you unmuted. Go ahead. Ruth Strauss, yeah, please. Uh, the, the documentary that you're talking about is just fantastic. And even before you said that, I raised my hand because I wanted to tell people. It's called The Most Dangerous Man in yes. America. And it is fantastic. It's riveting. It it's fun. It's political. It's historical. 
everybody has got to watch it. You will be glad you did. Thanks. Well, thank you. Okay, I got a quick quiz for you here. Richard Nixon actually called two men the most dangerous man in America. One of them was Dan Ellsberg. Uh, who can tell me who the other one was? Does anybody know? It was Tim Leary. <laughs> what a pair, Dan Ellsberg and Tim Leary, both referred to by Richard Nixon as the most dangerous man in America. And of course, he was right. So there you go. It was right both times, as a matter of fact. Okay, Tatanka, please go ahead. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you for that. Yeah, we lost a miracle of a man. Uh, mentioning Tim Leary, one of the conversations Dan and I had, maybe why he said that, was the effect that he think he thought that uh, the the woman who dropped acid with uh, JFK, the effect it had on his life and on our history altogether, which that's that's another story. So I want to talk about a couple themes. One is the miracle of life, which he talked about. The other is the admonition, don't wait. Um, and Dorothy is correct. I mean, Dan always, when he was asked to talk about Randy, he would always say there were two things. One was Randy Keeler, who we strongly identified with from, you know, Harvard on, on into the military and all that, and, and taking his active conscience with War Resisters League. And the other was Patricia. So it was hand in hand living with a woman who was uh, protesting against the war. Dan used every opportunity to say, don't do what I did. Don't wait years before millions others die. He had to live with that his whole life. He, he, he brought it up until, you know, six weeks. I had a lot. My last conversation with him was, I'll, I'll treasure it. I didn't know it was going to be the last, but about 45 minutes. It was it happened to be two days before the doctor gave him that one month diagnosis. And he didn't want to get off the phone. He was just so full of enthusiasm and said, have you up to Kensington? Patricia and I want to have you for dinner. It's been too long. We'll spend a whole afternoon and evening. And then, you know, and then he it was time for him to go. Um, at our at my wedding with Joy Marcus in 1979 at the Bach Dancing Dynamite Society out in the coast in Half Moon Bay, he he was, you know, the one of our dear friends who gave this incredible speech, holding up his, Michael was probably, um, I don't know, just months old. Uh, I don't even think three months. And he, he held him up and he talked about the, the miracle of birth together with the miracle that we're even here and all the miracles it took, all the people we now know that saved us from nuclear annihilation. He was always, as people have mentioned, ready to question, answer questions, and explore. He, his curiosity and his exploration was just endless. Um, he also shared with me, you know, the date he was going to come forward with all the stuff he had that he hadn't been revealed since the Pentagon Papers. And since, you know, a few years ago when he came out again and, and risked decades more time in jail, he said, I can't sit on this stuff anymore. Um, and he would be the first to say, don't just see my film. The producer of that film, the award-winning film, also produced The Boys Who Said No, which is the story of the Vietnam draft resistance. 
and we spent a couple of days together with with about 50 of us at David Harris's home and then over in San Francisco to film that. And so the boys who said no, and for those of you that are too young or don't remember, that name comes from the iconic poster. World War II used to have the Jane Mansfield posters and stuff of GIs, you know. Well, we had the poster of the three Baez uh, sisters, you know, uh, sitting on a, a, I think, a rock wall in, in Carmel with the skirt, you know, legs crossed, just skirt up prudently above their knees. And in the top, it says, girls say yes to boys who say no. So that's that's what it's in reference to. And then also the follow-up film that came out called The Movement and the Madman about the effect that the anti-war movement did have on that uh, demonstration in front of the White House when Nixon and Kissinger were talking about nuking North Vietnam very, very casually. And Kissinger, no, I don't think so. I'm president of too many people. We wait. And then Watergate happened and we were spared at that time. So he was, uh, you know, I was able to take him out to his first, he wanted to experience a strike. And I took him out with Joan Baez out to a strike in Fresno, probably 74, 75. And he he was out there on the strike and he spoke about <laughs> way too long, which, which he would love to do, but everybody loved it and talked about RFK and his love of the movement and his relationship with Dolores Huerta um, used to hang out with him at Stinson Beach at a place out there. And one time I went out and kind of went into a trance beyond the waves. And I was out there two and a half hours and came in and they were all freaked out that I was gone. That was led to an interesting conversation about life after death. Anyway, um, and his his commitment to Pacifica was huge as well. So thank you for the time. We will miss you, Daniel. And his, his word to... Uh, uh, potential whistleblowers is don't wait and don't expect the miracle that I had because things are so much worse for whistleblowers now. Thank you. Right. And uh, Dan, actually, I quote him in my history book. He said something that was truly astounding. He was, you know, prior to being a whistleblower, he was a very, very high level, um, you know, Pentagon think guy. Yeah. And he met with Nixon in the Oval Office. And Nixon was musing with Dan Ellsberg about using nuclear weapons in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And Nixon really wanted to use nuclear weapons in Vietnam, but he told Dan Ellsberg that the country would go nuts and the students would tear the place apart. Yeah. And so it really, it really um, verified the incredibly important role that the uh, anti-war movement played. And the, and the role to say, oh, we didn't have an impact. Here's Dan Ellsberg confirming that the movement against the war in Vietnam prevented Richard Nixon yeah. from using nuclear weapons in Vietnam. It, it did have an impact, definitely. And he also, the role, which isn't written about much, he knew that one bit of confrontation and that tension around the bridge in Berlin. If there had been one shot fired, it would have been on the ground. It was all set up for nuclear war to happen. There was no hotline. So he lobbied for years behind the scenes, even before the Pentagon Papers, to have a hotline between the president of the United States and the president of the Soviet Union to prevent World War III, to at least have a conversation. That was Dan's, that was Dan's work as well. 
Amazing stuff. Thank you for that, Tatanka. Um, David Schlesinger, uh, Jeffrey quickly, and then Eric Lazarus. Thanks so much. Yes, uh, I met Dan several times. I certainly regret his passing. And one of the more recent times I met him, he shared with me that his best friend was uh, Professor Peter Dale Scott. Oh, yeah, Berkeley. I met him. And uh, Peter Dale Scott is uh, the person who coined the term deep state. Ah, amazing. Yes, I met I met uh, Peter with, with Dan. Um, he was quite a brilliant guy, uh, of course. Uh, Jeffrey, very quickly, and then Eric. Anyone else wants to speak? Please raise your hand now. Because uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on, but uh, we we want to let everybody who wants to say a word, uh, please do. Mm. Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey, please. All right, two things are two, two things involving uh, Daniel Ellsberg. One one because we must remember that because of what the Pentagon leak papers, it led it eventually led led to the Watergate scandal and eventually Richard Nixon's resigna resignation or almost impeachment. And and secondly, due to all that you said. Now, now I kind of wish I actually met him in person before he died. He was a very, very good guy. Uh, you know, a lot of people who are famous or uh, do things aren't, aren't such great people and aren't fun to be with. But Dan, Dan was a wonderful guy. And um, and when you see the movie, The Most Dangerous Man in America, you'll see the role that uh, Patricia played. It was very central. I don't remember The, the Most Dangerous Man in America talking about Randy Keeler. That I must say, I knew Randy Keeler very, very well, and um, um, he played. Randy paid a very heavy price for his resistance. He was in prison for quite a while, and it caused him tremendous physical uh, hardship. As many people who went through the prison experience, uh, Randy really had a lot of back pain and many, many other things he paid for. But when I read. And I didn't know this until I was reading the obits after knowing Randy for decades, um, that Randy inspired Dan in many ways. It really confirmed uh, that, that that syndrome that a lot of us know as organizers of, you know, you go around the country and you give speeches and, you know, there's three or four people sometimes and you never know if it's just a big waste of time. And here Randy, who gave many, many speeches, happens to give a speech that inspires, of all people, Dan Ellsberg. I mean, so it's just like, uh, I had a conversation once with uh, um, Jeremy Rifkin, and we were talking, and this really applies. Uh, um, uh, we were talking about all the times we went all across the country and spoke to like two people. And and, uh, and he Jeremy said this amazing thing. He said, when you show up, no matter how many people there, even if it's one or two or three, you got to give the whole speech because one of them might be a Gandhi. And in this case, it was Dan Ellsberg. Uh, I later heard, by the way, that um, that speech, was, that that uh, phrase was not um, uh, original to Jeremy Rifkin. In fact, there's a piece in Bertrand Russell's autobiography, Bertrand Russell, the great peace activist. And he once called a mass rally for peace in Trafalgar Square in the heart of London. And one person showed up, but it was Gandhi. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. So, you know, Randy Keeler, 
all those speeches you gave, all the time you spent in prison, all the pain you suffered. Um, and here's Dan Ellsberg to, to speak for it. Um, um, uh, Eric Lazarus, and then- Yeah, Dan just very briefly, just had a few minutes with Dan Ellsberg right before um, the, um, the war on Iraq um, began. Um, um, this, and I'm, and I, he gave a lovely talk in an auditorium in Manhattan and a small group of like six people hung out with him afterwards. And the topic was like, how did he know there were no weapons of mass destruction? Um, and he was very generous and spent time with us and explained how lying and the Pentagon works. And so I kind of knew that we'd never find weapons of mass destruction because I had a little bit of time with Dan Ellsberg. Thanks so much. Thank you. Very good. Much appreciated. Uh, Vinny Stefano, let's get you on mute. Go ahead. You betcha. Hey, uh, uh, the very first seminar we put on at the UCLA School of Law for Assange Defense in 2019, Daniel was a huge part of that event, along with Noam Chomsky and a lot of other speakers. And although I was a, a lowly speaker in the event, I felt proud just to share the stage with them. I'll show you a very brief, funny story. I was coming back from Guatemala one time, my wife and I are on vacation, and she worked for United Airlines. So we were flying on her ticket, which meant we were separated. And I was sitting next to a woman who had her nose buried in a book, and I had my nose buried in a book. And when our meals came, we started talking. We started talking about Latin America. And it turned out she'd just come back from Nicaragua. Although she was an American, she was serving in the Sandinista government. And as we began to talk about Latin America, she says, you know, you know a bit more about Latin America than the average American. How do you know so much? I said, well, I read. I read everything I can get my hands on. She goes, what have you read that's very good lately? I said, well, I don't know whether you know this guy or not, but Daniel Ellsberg just released his book, Secrets, about the Pentagon Papers. And I said, if I was going to read anything, that is the book I would pick up. And she laughed. She goes, so you're the one. I said, what do you mean? I'm the one. She says, nobody read that goddamn book. And I said, how do you know? She said, because Daniel Ellsberg is my father. It was Mary Ellsberg. I, 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 it's the closest I ever got to him other than the night that he made his release of information that he was dying of pancreatic cancer. We were doing a screening of the movie Ithaca and I got to tell you, I, it was a gut punch to me. I, in a world full of idols with feet of sand, there was a man made out of utter granite. He was, his life will not pass our way again. I cried uh, when I heard that he died. Well, maybe he didn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's living in Florida with all the other people, with Jimmy Hoffa and JFK. He's hanging out with Joe Hill. Yeah. Oh, yes, God. he is. He is. He uh, Ron is. Leonard. Thank yeah, you. Baby. I just, I just wanted to mention that uh, I, I thought Daniel was not only a hero to me, it was a hero to a generation, and that generation can transfer what we learned from Dan, which was, to fight the righteous fight is the greatest joy in your life, and we all learned that by listening to him. I got to thank him a couple of times for what he did. But that experience will transfer through us who saw him and knew him in the day 
to every generation going forward because this is the joy we can transfer forward. Very well said. Thank you, Ron. Thank you so much. And uh, 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 Wendy, Wendy Wiederman, go ahead. And then Steve. Thank you. Um, I'll just uh, kind of segue from that. I guess I just kind of wanted to throw my um, word in coming from the generation. Like I, I was, I think I was born the year that you got arrested with him in <laughs> Right. Um, so, but I'm 42 now and just the last like 10, 15 years, like since I became even more, like I've always been pretty radical, but really, really delving in with my education on the way that the system truly works. And obviously Dan, Daniel Ellsberg is one of the, the first stories I came across and just left such an, an incredible imprint on me. So I think this is kind of directed at Dorothy a little bit too, um, in her beautiful speech, just letting you know that um, his presence that you were talking about, like granted, I never met him. I wasn't there when the things happened, but once I learned about him, read quotes and, and interviews and just really getting to familiarize with his story and witnessing everything that's followed, like he really truly has made an impact um, on the ones that weren't even there in a very, very deep way. And so I just wanted to um, thank everybody for your beautiful tributes and just know that, you know, it's energy doesn't, it just changes form. And so we're all going to take those qualities that we um, admire and appreciate and try to live them for him and keep the fight going. Um, as they say, don't mourn organize. Um, but anyway, I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you so much. Uh, Steve Kaiser, if anyone else wants to speak, raise your hand now. I see Joel Simpson, um, um, uh, but we're, we're, we're almost to the end of our time uh, with him. Steve Kaiser, then uh, Joel Simpson, then Anna Georgie in Western Mass. I just want to mention. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, I just want to mention Daniel Ellsberg was a big uh, ufologist. Uh, he's appeared at, uh, you know, studying of UFOs. He appeared at our local MUFON group and uh, UFARDS uh, speaking on UFOs. And uh, he said he became aware of and interested in UFOs when he was a teenager. And uh, it, it was like his, his first step into thinking that things were different than what they were being represented to be. And I was really looking forward to hearing him talk that, uh, today about that because he he bridges an important gap between social activists and, and people really looking at what's happening in the world and drawing the connection that there's a lot of things being represented in a way that they're that is totally false. So anyway, he was a great ufologist too, and and say the least, we'll, we'll miss him endlessly. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you very much, Joel Simpson, and then Anna Georgie. Uh, Joel, let me get you on. Yeah, go ahead. Thanks for doing this. You know, I was at a, an anti-war rally in front of the federal courthouse in New York, and there he was in the crowd. And uh, for some reason, he and I just uh, got close to each other. And he he bent down and told me some inside information. And I can't even remember what it was, but he was so friendly and so open. I was so touched by being addressed by this great man. And I don't even know if this is significant to a story, but, you know, he spoke, I had seen him many times before at the left forum and photographed him, but that was thrilling to hear the voice, the, the unmistakable voice of Daniel Ellsberg, Ellsberg in my ear. And I just wanted to say goodbye to him publicly and thank you for doing this. 
Well, I assume you haven't washed your ears since, so. <laughs> That's right. That's why the right ear is very full of wax, and it keeps getting in my, in my hearing aid. But yeah, uh, Dan was very approachable, very human, and uh, it was great to know him. Um, um, and he was uh, he 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 really gave good arrest. I mean, it was good good getting arrested with Dan. <laughs> uh, Anna Georgie, please, Anna from Western Mass, a good close friend of Brandy Cures, of course. Yeah. And I'm sure he'll hear about this. I just want to put in two cents uh, from Western Mass, and that is that happily, along with your archive, Sluggo, Daniel Ellsberg, mm -hmm. 500 box archive is at the wonderful Social Concerns uh, Archive at uh, the University of Massachusetts. And I've put the link in the box uh, in the chat because they um, are digitalizing material. They're also been, they've had a whole year of forum with Randy and others uh, speaking about uh, Dania Ellsberg's work. So just to spread the word, I just wanted to put out that uh, this is an incredible resource direct from Daniel Ellsberg himself. Well, Diana uh, is very much um, um, uh, responsible in many ways for that archive. She worked with the great Rob Cox, who unfortunately left us. And um, my papers are there with Dan Ellsberg's and W.E.B. Du Bois. And um, uh, there are a few others, uh, uh, notables, but it's a great thing, Anna. Thank you so much for mentioning that. And you can see a lot of, they are digital, uh, diligently scanning stuff. And you can see a lot of Dan's stuff um, um, online, which is really, yeah. really amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And thought of that. Thank uh, you. John Steiner and then Dennis. Thank you, Anna. Uh, um, yeah, and give our love, please, to Randy Keeler and, and make sure that he knows that he was um, uh, uh, greatly mentioned for all, all he's done uh, over the years. Uh, Dennis Bernstein again, go ahead. Oh, no, John Steiner was next. John uh, Steiner and then Dennis. Uh, you know, Harvey, thank you for doing this and for everyone who's spoken. One, Joel wanting to follow. He was one of those people that so many of us were privileged to know, <clears throat> and he made himself available, and he always seemed to have enough time, almost wanting to stop the conversation, keep the conversation going when you were ready to stop it. And I don't have any idea how he was able to do that in his life, plus everything else he did, but I want to tell one story. I'd gotten to know Dan and Pat over the years, both personally and professionally. And we found ourselves on a plane ride to D.C. one day from the Bay Area. And he told me personally the story of how his mother and sister had been killed oh, yeah. in that car crash when he was riding in the seat behind his father. And it was as if he was given another life that he didn't know, that didn't belong to him anymore. And I think it gave him a direction that ended up leading to part of who he was and what he did because he as we all know he was utterly fearless and it was as if death had already happened to him and there was another life he was living that had been almost given by grace and it was such a gift to hear him tell that story personally and to feel it, and then to get a, an even deeper sense of what he brought to us 
all these years and and what will live on yeah that's an amazing thing john thank you for for bringing that into the mix mind-boggling uh thank you for that dennis bernstein again dennis are you unmuted no wait hold on uh there you go well there no go okay. ahead yes got it i just want to say you know i i mentioned that i i had a chance to really meet dan because my good friend paul berman they were sort of kissinger colleagues uh having escaped the insanity and i i want to say this based on my personal knowledge of you know, what happened in the last uh, months and days and stuff. I can assure everybody that Dan went out of this world the same way that he came in, exalted and um, tripping on every little thing in life, being totally alive. I, 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 he, these are the kind of, you know, Dan and Paul, these kind of, you go to the movies and they maybe somebody would smoke a joint or something and you'd be you're on the way to the movies and there would be like a beautiful tree or something and one of them would pull over you know and say look at you know they'd be halfway in the middle of the road you know what i'm saying and this that both of them were admiring a tree we're in the road here we gotta you know what i'm trying to say so what i'm gonna do here right now is i'm gonna burn one for Dan and Patricia and the extraordinary, I love that Dan, you all must have heard that he he had given up salt and then he started eating salt again. Did you hear this, that he was gonna do all the things he had to give up to, you know, uh, keep going. He started doing them. Boy, did he love salt. They had a huge, chocolate cake <laughs> somewhere in the last few days so this is for you dan and patricia coming out of berkeley it's it's homegrown something all right well thank you dan uh thank yeah. you dennis, for that. And, uh, if we had a, a better technology we could all get stoned on that one joint but i don't think it'll go. pass through Doing my best um, okay, does anyone else want to uh, chime in here? We, we're almost at the top of the hour. Um, uh, I just uh, want to just say, Dan, we love you. We, you changed the world for the better. You inspired uh, all these great people. We got 57 people on the line. And um, uh, not enough can be said for you. And uh, uh, someday up there, um, you and Tim Leary are are jointly the most dangerous uh, uh, men in whatever. <laughs> what an honor. All right, you guys. Uh, and thank you, Dan Ellsberg. Thank you, everybody, for joining in. This will be on Progressive Radio Network and, of course, archived at, um, at the Election Protection uh, Zoom call, uh, um, um, uh, website. All right. Oh, I hate to say it, but let's move on as we stay. We've had um, with us Antonio Gisbert. Oh, and I want to say one thing, by the way. We are about, we may, again, be on the brink with Julian Assange. And I would not be surprised if uh, Vinny uh, DiStefano next week, Wendy, we, we wind up talking about 
uh, Julian, and uh, I don't know if these people have the guts to bring him here, for God's sakes. But, you know, uh, that's what they're talking about doing. So we'll see what happens. Um, if I was Joe Biden, I'd put him on an airplane, tell everybody they're shipping him to America, and instead send him to Australia <laughs> and let him let him go home, for God's sakes, you know. All right, Dan, again, Ellsberg, again, farewell, and we will see you in our dreams. Um, uh, thanks to Wendy now, we have Antonio uh, Gisbert on with us from Oregon, and then we're going to go to Pat Morita in Ohio. Uh, but uh, Antonio, you have a major um, uh, thing coming up in Oregon. Can you tell us about it, please? Yeah, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, my name is Antonio Gisbert, and uh, I am, my pronouns are he, him. And I am the chief petition of the Oregon rebate. It's a ballot initiative that we are in the process of qualifying for the November 2024 election. Okay, Antonio, um, can you talk a little louder and a little slower? <clears throat> Thank you. Yes, uh, sorry. Uh, my name is Antonio Hitbert. He, him, are my pronouns. Uh, I am the chief petitioner of the Oregon rebate. And that is a ballot initiative that we are looking, that we're working on qualifying in Oregon for the November 2024 election. Uh, before all else, I have to express my gratitude uh, for this invitation. Uh, thank you, Wendy, and uh, everybody else for having me here. I feel like I'm a little bit out of place uh, because uh, I the project that I'm working on seems so small in comparison. Uh, but no, thank you for- No, 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 remember that's the point. Randy Keeler, who was walking around the country speaking to, you know, very small groups, spoke to Dan Ellsberg. So there's, uh, uh, one of us might be a Gandhi. In fact, the, the odds are pretty high, actually. So go ahead, please. Tell us, <laughs> yes, tell that, us what you got. Yes, and, and that's why. Um, how much time do I have, by the way? Just, get, just a couple of minutes, if you would, uh, just to explain what's going on there. We, and we, we'll have you back, but the important thing is to break the ice and let us know what's going on. Just a couple minutes would be great. Yeah, so um, really quickly, table setting, uh, three core values that motivate the Oregon rebate partnership campaign. Number one is the value of direct democracy. Uh, I am sure you all know about this, but about yeah. half the states in America, uh, we have the right for people have the right to get together, draft a law, and if we collect enough signatures, that law uh, appears on the general election ballot to be voted directly by uh, by the voters. Um, okay. That is that is what we did uh, uh, by convening a diverse group of friends in bars and coffee shops in rural Oregon, and over eight months. Using a consensus-driven process, we managed to draft something to touch on two other values. One being that of corporate tax justice. In Oregon, big corporations like Comcast pay less than one-eighth of one percent in taxes to the state. We all thought that that was uh, wrong, morally wrong. And so we thought that we should write a law to change that and increase that to three percent. The second value is one of economic justice. We all feel that uh, it is uh, ever harder to make ends meet 
Uh, this has been written about in many different ways. The hollowing out of the middle class is something that's very common. And so what we came up with is an idea to increase corporate taxes for the biggest corporations that do business in the state of Oregon and use that money to provide a direct cash transfer, we call it a rebate, to every Oregonian. 